This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Listen to the Word of God. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for people of God. Would you pray with me for just a moment, please? Lord, we ask now that your word would speak a word to our hearts and to our minds so that we might respond and live as you call us to live. Thank you for this time. Help us to be focused and attentive. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Once upon a time, there was a small little town located on the edge of a large lake. And inside this town, there was a fishing club made up of people who love to gather on Wednesday evenings and have dinner together and talk about fishing. Sometimes they would bring in an expert who would describe the differences between lures and natural bait. Sometimes they'd bring in somebody to share the latest techniques for using an open-faced spinning reel. Once a year, they brought in boat vendors who would describe the various types of sport fishing boats and all the gear you could use. And Then sometimes they would just gather, and after a fine meal together, they would take turns reading stories, fishing stories, out of fishing magazines. It was a wonderful club, and everybody enjoyed their activities. But there was one strange thing about this fishing club. They never actually went fishing. Here they were, they had a lot of accumulated knowledge, right next to a large lake full of fish, but they never got out of the clubhouse and into the boats and into the lake to go fishing. And you know that's a silly story, of course. Everybody knows there wouldn't be a club like that. Could you imagine a club where people would gather to talk about something that they thought was important, but then never went and did that thing that they thought was important? And yet the truth of the matter is, friends, here in the church, we sometimes struggle with that, don't we? Don't we sometimes struggle to take what we learn in here, what we say is important in here, what we sing about and pray about and talk about here, and go out and live it in our lives? Because the, the reality is, Jesus calls us to a higher level of living, and we're not always there yet. And so it's a challenge to live at the new level Jesus calls us to, and so... We struggle sometimes to make sure that our deeds match our creeds, that we walk the talk, that what we, what we confess with our mouth is something that we express with our lives. It can be a challenge. And probably that challenge is nowhere more evident than when it comes to talking about sharing our faith with other people. Call it evangelism, call it witnessing, Call it giving a testimony, call it proclaiming the gospel. Gospel is a word that means good news. But whatever you want to call it, it's easier to talk about it than to actually do it. The truth of the matter is, most of us aren't all that comfortable sharing our faith with other people. In fact, I would bet if I were to announce this morning 
that next Sunday we're all going to gather the usual time for worship, but instead of a worship service, we're going to sing one song, and then we're going to divide up into teams of four or five, and we're going to go out into the neighborhoods around the church, and we're going to go knocking door to door to share our faith, ask people if they know Jesus, and then invite them to our church. If I was to say that's what we're going to do next week, I bet the crowd would be down. In fact, I'm not even sure I'd show up. Because... We're not sure how to do that. It's not that we're bad Christians. It's not that we don't want other people to come to know Jesus. It's just we, we're we not sure how to do it. We don't see ourselves knocking door to door and telling people about Jesus. We don't imagine ourselves standing at the entrance to Spotsylvania Mall with a stack of Bible tracts and as people are coming in, handing them a tract saying, Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? We can't imagine ourselves going out to Garrisonville Road on that intersection there near Mission Barbecue. And standing there and preaching to the people going by about come to know Jesus as your Savior. We we don't see ourselves doing that because it doesn't feel like the way we would do it. But what if there is a way that you and I could talk about our faith with other people and share the good news in a way that it actually feels like we're sharing good news? What if there's a way that's natural and normal and fits our personality and our style and our temperament, and you don't have to knock on doors or pass out tracks or preach at a street corner. Not that those methods are necessarily bad or wrong. Different methods reach different people. But my guess is if you're like me, that's probably not your preferred method. But what if there is a way? That's what we're going to talk about over these next several weeks as we consider what it means to go fishing. Not with hooks, or poles or nets, but fishing for people. A different kind of fishing, a kind of fishing that Jesus talks about. Now the basis of our teaching for these next several weeks comes from today's scripture lesson. Jesus calling first the first four of his twelve disciples. And the first four disciples that Jesus calls are all fishermen. Jesus is walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he comes to the fishing village of Capernaum where fishermen are busy bringing in fish and selling it to vendors who will take it to the market. And as Jesus is walking along, he notices two fishermen offshore wading in the water, probably hip deep or maybe chest deep, and they're tossing their nets. Two brothers, Simon, who would later be known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they're within shouting distance, and Jesus calls out to them, and he says, come and follow me. And I will teach you a different kind of fishing. I will teach you how to go fishing for people. Now, these fishermen, they they were not fishing for recreation. They They were fishing for vocation. This was their job. And yet they leave that and they get out of the water and they begin to follow Jesus. Now, Mark's gospel doesn't give us the backstory, but we can be pretty sure this wasn't the first time they encountered Jesus. They'd probably heard him preaching uh, several times. Jesus, I'm sure, had had conversations with them leading up to this moment. Jesus had probably already invited them to prayerfully consider following him. And now he's coming along to see if they're ready for this big step, this big commitment. And they are. They, they get out of the water and they begin to follow Jesus. And they go just a little further down the shore and Jesus stops again and he calls out to a, a, a couple of brothers, James and John, who were on a fishing boat owned by their father Zebedee. Zebedee was a very successful fisherman. He had a large fish company there. And uh, James and John work for their father. And they're there working with the other hired men. And Jesus calls to them and offers the same invitation to them. And they also come. And we can rest assured that 
probably Jesus had had some initial conversations with them and he's just now inviting them to make that next step of commitment and follow him. And they do. And this story of Jesus calling the disciples saying, come and I will make you fishers of people. This story is the basis for what we'll be looking at over the next few weeks as we consider what it means for you and me as modern day Christians to answer Jesus' call to go fishing for people. So we're going to invite you to do several things in this series. First of all, if you haven't gotten a copy of this book called Go Fish by Andy Stanley, you can pick one up for $5 in the gym after service if you want to use this. It's very helpful as we uh, begin to study together how to share our faith. Also, we're inviting you to be in a small group. If you haven't yet signed up for a small group for the season, uh, the next six weeks, uh, you can do that also in the gathering room where you get the books. We'll be happy to sign you up in a small group. We're also going to invite you to be here every Sunday as we talk each week about a different aspect of learning how to share our faith in a way that's natural and normal. But listen, friends, however you decide to participate in this series, whatever level of commitment you're comfortable with or you're willing to take during this very special season leading up to Easter, I want to encourage you to join me in considering what exactly does it mean in our modern day context to share our faith with other people. To be open to the idea that that God might want to use you to help somebody else discover the truth about Jesus, who He is, what He did, and why that matters. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to begin by just talking about three foundational truths we need to keep in mind as we begin considering what it means to go fishing for people. Three foundational truths that we need to keep in mind. And here's the first one. Fishing for people is not about condemning or coercing it's about sharing and inviting oh please remember this fishing for people is not about condemning or coercing it's about sharing and inviting it's not about trying to make people feel guilty for who they're not and and make them feel ashamed for the mistakes they've made in their lives and their past in the hopes that they'll feel bad enough that they'll finally reach out to god no that that's not that's not what it's about My wife uh, went to college at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. By the way, did they not beat Duke last night? Wasn't that great? (laughs) Anyway, uh, uh, there at at the the campus, there's a a center marketplace. It's called the Quad. It was a large bricked-in area between the student store and, and two libraries. It was a place where students would always gather and walk through. Very busy place. And every Tuesday morning around 11 o'clock, he would show up. The street preacher. And he would, he would come in and he would set up a little platform and he'd stand on that platform and with a Bible in one hand and a blowhorn in the other, he would declare to people, these students walking by, he would declare to them that they were vile sinners destined for hell and that their sin was a stench in the nostrils of a holy God and that they had just one opportunity to turn or burn. And I'll tell you, the guy was passionate. But the guy didn't reach many college students. They found him annoying. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They walked by him. Friends, it's not that what he was saying wasn't true. Can we, can we acknowledge there's, there's a truth in the scripture that our sin does separate us from God and, and that Jesus did die on the cross so we could be forgiven and, and and so there, there is a sense in which we have to wrestle with the truth of the gospel, but Probably condemning people to hell is not the place to start, right? It worked 200 years ago. I mean, if you read some of the sermons 
Like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, which led thousands to Christ. You you read the the sermons of of Spurgeon and other old-time evangelists, and you see how they were able to say some pretty harsh things and, and lead people to Christ. That's great. It just doesn't work today. It's not where we should start with people. We should start with the love of God. You know, um, Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, another ministry that was very successful in the past 40 years, uh, very successful reaching college students for Jesus, uh, he, he found that the, one of the best ways to train college students to reach other college students was to give them uh, a Bible tract that they could walk through with other people to lead them to a faith in Christ or help him understand the basic gospel message. And so he came up with this tract called the Three Spiritual Laws. And the Three Spiritual Laws were simply this, that uh, you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God, but God sent Jesus to die for your sins. And then finally, number three, if you will accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you'll be forgiven and you'll be going to heaven when you die. The Three Spiritual Laws. And he trained the college students to share these spiritual laws in this tract, and it wasn't very successful. So he changed the tract just a little bit. He now made it the four spiritual laws. And he started with a brand new law, the first law, which was no longer you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God. The first law was this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Then the second law was about sin, and then about Jesus, and then about accepting Jesus. And and what Bill Bright discovered was that when you start with the love of God instead of the wrath of God, you open the heart to the possibility that God's love extends even to you, no matter what your life has been like or what you've done. Oh, friends, I'm telling you, don't start with condemnation. Start with God's love. Start with who God is and what God has done. And tell your story. Because if you're here today, you've had an encounter with God's love at some point in your life. And and how you discovered God's love for you. And how you responded to God's invitation to have your sins forgiven and have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. That's the place to begin. And that's really the second truth I want to share with you. You've got a story. We've all got a story. First truth is you don't begin with condemnation... But the second truth is, you've got a story to tell. You've got a story to tell about how you've experienced Jesus in your life and His love for you. Times when, when you were strengthened in the storms of your life by the love of God. Times when you were comforted in the grief and loss you've experienced by the presence of the Lord. Times when the wisdom of Jesus helped you do the right thing when it wasn't easy to do the right thing. Times when You were inspired by the Lord to step outside your comfort zone and do something really difficult that turned out to be something really beautiful. We've all got these stories to tell. We just need to learn to tell these stories. And these stories that make up our lives are part of the larger story of what God is doing in and through you and me to save us and heal us and let us loose to love and serve this world in which we live as we wait for the world yet to come. We've all got a story to tell. Peter, in the New Testament, uh, writes these words. He says, you're, you're, you're a called people. He's talking to the Christians. He says, you're a called people and you're called to declare the glory of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
See, that's our job, to declare the glory of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Some of you have amazing stories. I know because some of you have told me your stories. And you have amazing stories to tell that have miracles in them and supernatural signs and wonders and amazing changes that have taken place in your life. If they were to do a movie about your story, it would be a thrilling blockbuster and people would line up to watch it and be amazed at how wonderful God is. Some of you have that kind of story. And you ought to tell it. But others of you have maybe a less dramatic story. Maybe your story is a little more common, a little more mundane. If they were making a movie of your story, nobody would watch it. Right? But you still have a story. Because here's what's true. People might be amazed at the spectacular stories, but people often relate better to the ordinary stories. You know what I'm saying? See, when somebody hears about a spectacular you know, miracle story, they're like, wow, God did something amazing. I, I don't know that God would do something like that in my life. But when, when people hear like an ordinary person tell their ordinary story about how God began to work in their life and how they gradually came to understand His love and goodness, and when people hear those less dramatic stories, sometimes they go, wow, I wonder if God might do something like that in my life. So learn to tell your story, whether it's it's an amazing story or just an ordinary story. We've all got stories, and those stories make up the big story of our life. And Ellie Wiesel used to say that God loves stories. That's why he created people. People people argue with your theological beliefs. People will argue with the Bible verses you quote at them. But here's what's hard for people to argue with. Your experience. Your story. What's happened to you. In fact, when you look at the, 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 the early witnessing that the disciples did, when they began to share the truth about Jesus, they just told their story, what they had seen and what they had heard, what they had experienced. And that turned the world around. Learning to tell your story and invite others to experience that is a natural and normal thing. If you've ever been to a restaurant that you really enjoyed, the service was good. The food was outstanding. And uh, the, the, every, every, the atmosphere, everything was wonderful. The bill wasn't too bad. Right? If you ever had an experience like that in a restaurant, and then a day or so later, you, you shared that experience with somebody and told them what a great restaurant it was and how, how much you enjoyed it, and you, you suggested they go to that restaurant, or maybe you even said, hey, let's go together. We'll, we'll, we'll go you know, make a, a date to go together to this restaurant. If you've ever done that sort of thing, then you know how to share your faith. Because that's all it is. You're just sharing a great experience you've had, and you're inviting someone else to consider that same kind of experience. D.T. Niles, who was a great uh, missionary and evangelist in the last century, was once asked how he had such a great ability to, to help people discover the good news of Jesus. And he said, well, I just see myself as one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Isn't that great? Just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. I've got good news for you today. When it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus and telling your story, you don't have to work out all the subtle nuances of substitutionary atonement. You don't have to have working definitions of justification and sanctification. You don't even need to memorize a bunch of Bible verses. You only need one Bible verse. John 3.16. And I bet you already know that one. Let's say it together. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice where that verse starts. It doesn't start because God was ready to pour out His wrath on the world. No, it's not that. It's for God so what? Love the world. That's where we start. With the love of God. And the way that love has intersected in our lives. And what that love is doing in our lives and relationships. And if you've experienced the love of God, you've got a story to share. So fishing for people is not about condemning or coercing. It's about sharing and inviting And everybody's got a story to share. And finally this. Fishing for people starts with praying for people. That's where it starts, with prayer. You know, uh, when you read the Gospels, before Jesus selected His twelve disciples, He stayed up all night and prayed. wonder what He was praying about. Jesus would often get up early in the morning, go off to a lonely place and pray before His busy day of ministry. I wonder what He was praying about. The disciples were so impressed with the way Jesus prayed, they said, Master, teach us to pray the way you pray. I wonder what it was about Jesus' prayer that impacted the disciples. I think what, what the disciples figured out is that if you're going to fish for people, you've got to have a heart for people. And the way you get a heart for people is to pray for people. There's an old adage that goes like this, Don't go talking to your neighbor about God until you first go and talk to God about your neighbor. Because that's where it starts. Because prayer opens the window for the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart and in the heart of other people around you. The Holy Spirit begins to prepare an environment through prayer that allows you to find the courage and the, the natural conversational openings to share your story in a way that seems natural and normal. You know, the truth of the matter is, prayer is the foundation for fishing. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodists, used to say this, God does nothing except in response to prayer. Early in my ministry, I had the opportunity to volunteer for the Billy Graham Association in one of Billy Graham's uh, big evangelistic crusades. He was coming to Washington, D.C. to do a four-night crusade at RFK Stadium. And uh, they needed volunteers, so I signed up and... Uh, Hey, there's a lot of preparation that goes into one of these crusades. But what was really interesting was uh, the primary form of preparation for, for those of us who had signed up was to pray. I mean, there were other things we had to do. There were logistics that needed to be taken care of. And, there, you know, we had our to-do list, our punch list, our, our check-off list. But before we started working on our list, we had to pray and pray a lot. Because Billy Graham had this fundamental belief that the primary preparation for evangelism was prayer. And so we prayed. We prayed for the musicians. We prayed for the singers. We prayed for the people giving their testimony. We prayed for people who would be inviting others to come to the crusade. We prayed for all those who would be there. We prayed for Billy Graham and and the words he would speak. We prayed for the traffic. We prayed for the weather. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And, you know, there hasn't been an evangelist quite as amazing in terms of success as Billy Graham. More than 12 million people, estimated, have come to faith in Christ because of Billy Graham. And if you've ever heard Billy Graham preach, can I just say as a preacher, if you ever heard him preach, he's not all that great. 
I, I mean, yeah, he's okay. He's pretty simple, straightforward, right? But so effective. Not because of the words coming out of his mouth, but because of the prayer that undergirds all that he's done. See, it's not about what you say, it's about how you pray that, that allows the Holy Spirit to begin working. And without the Holy Spirit, we, we can't do very well when we try to go fishing. Isn't that true? Amen? So let me ask you, let me just ask you today, who are you praying for? I don't mean who you're praying for because they're in the hospital waiting on an operation or who you're praying for because, well, their marriage is in trouble or who you're praying for because, well, their child really wants to get into this particular college. I'm not asking about that. Those are all worthwhile things to pray for. By all means, pray for that. I'm asking you, who are you praying for that they might come to discover personally in their lives that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life? Who are you praying for that God would open their heart to see the truth of what Jesus has done for us and what life God offers to us here and now and in the hereafter? Who are you praying for that God would give you the opportunity to share a little piece of your story and invite them to consider what you've discovered? I want to invite you over these next six weeks to prepare for Easter by joining me in Thinking of somebody you can pray for and pray daily that that person would come to know the Lord. In fact, in your bulletin, we have a little prayer guide to remind you of that if you want to keep that handy and use it on a regular basis. But, but really, think of somebody who, who needs to know Jesus and just start praying for him. As we enter into this holy season of Lent and prepare for Easter, let's remember how this season ends. It ends with Jesus dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. And let's remember how that changed the world. You know, it it wasn't the philosophy of Jesus that changed the world. It wasn't his charismatic personality or his healings that changed the world. It was the fact that the guy died on a cross and rose from the dead. Christianity was birthed. Not based on the teachings of its founder, as amazing as those teachings were. Christianity was birthed by an event that happened in human history and changed the entire trajectory of human history. And because of that, the disciples had a story to tell. And so do you and so do I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So let's remember... We don't have a theological lecture that we need to give. We have a story we need to tell. An invitation we need to offer. And before we do that, we have some prayers we need to pray. Because we don't need to have all the answers. Because we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to get good bread. And when we learn to share and invite, we discover the joy and the power of fishing for people.